so you know what's coming next. Or do you? You all got them. There should be plenty of spares going. We're starting a new series. We've pressed pause on Genesis for a while now. We've, we've had Noah. We're going to come back to Genesis in the autumn. We'll carry on with the story. But it's a big book and we could be there forever. Otherwise, couldn't we? So uh, we're going to come back to Genesis in the autumn. We're going to spend nine Sundays looking at God's kingdom. Uh, it'll be over a ten-week period because we've got family zone in the middle of that, beginning of July. And then August into September, we'll do something different again, just for a month or so, around what we'll be up to then as a church. And then we'll start Genesis again, Tower of Babel, etc. onwards. But uh, starting today, we're going to be talking about God's kingdom. I want, today is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a, not going to be your average sermon. It's going to be more of an overview of what's to come, just to help set the scene a little bit, if that's okay. It'll be more of a taster of what to expect over the coming weeks. So I'll talk about some of these bullet points, some of these headings that are on your bookmarks in a while as well. I just want to share some stories. I just want us to be encouraged that God's up to something in, in this church and in our country. And we should get excited about it and what to expect, what to pray for, what to hope for, what to hunger for as well. Why God's kingdom? Why are we talking about that? Because I'd suggest that understanding what the kingdom of God really means is fundamental to who we are as his people, is fundamental to who we are as a church, it's fundamental to what, how understanding what God's up to in the world at large, in the media and so on, and in our own individual lives and our friends' and families' lives as well. The kingdom of God is on the advance, and it would be good for us as his church to know what that is, wouldn't it? So that's what we're going to be looking at now. I do believe we're coming into a new se- season. I don't say this lightly either. I do believe we as a church are coming into a new season, and I know a lot of people here feel the same. But also just across our movement of churches, uh, relational mission, the family of churches we're a part of. We, we're, we're on the move. Right across our whole network of churches, God is doing something quite magnificently and in other streams as well. It's not all about relational mission, New Frontiers. We're not the be all and end all by any stretch and I'm sure you know that. But just across the church in this country, atheists won't know what's hit them in the next few years. I'll, I'll seriously be there, and I don't mean that to be flippant about atheists as well. It's a genuine belief and I, I kind of honour that they've made that decision. I think a lot of it, atheists tend to believe not just that there is no God, but they also hate him, if that makes sense. I think I know I speak to a lot of atheists who just, they don't believe in a God because they can't. There are a lot of atheists who hate the God they don't believe in, (laughs) which is very different. And I think God's on the move spiritually in this country. He's awakening hearts to people that don't even know what they're looking for, but there's something there, and I want to know what this is. People are looking for him. And this country is waking up. The church is not on the decline. The church is magnificently on the rise, and we'll see more and more of that exponentially over the next few years. I'm absolutely convinced we're going to see a lot more. And so now is a good time to preach into God's kingdom and what that really means. So let's just read these couple of verses. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 to 21. Being asked by the Pharisees, this is... Jesus was being asked by these religious leaders who were all about legalism, law. They'd added their own rights and traditions to how to make yourself right before God. And they woefully added to what was required, which is simple faith in God through the Messiah, Jesus himself. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, It's not just about understanding what pictures mean and prophecies mean and and dates and times. Just trust that it's coming. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, as if it's a physical thing. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
Let me just pray. And I trust by the end of this morning that will make a bit more sense. Lord, you are a God who is on the move. You are not a static God who puts his feet up. The work is done on the cross. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But you are still a God who is on the move, who is doing some wonderful, amazing things in this, in this world. We just want to see more of it because it glorifies you, because it revolutionises your church, it turns society upside down for you. We want to see more of that. So Lord, help us understand what these couple of verses mean, what other verses mean. Lord, let it not just be pages from a book. Lord, prove to us this morning that that is your living word. And help me as I preach, Lord. I'm just a man with words. But Lord, Holy Spirit, may you come and touch our hearts, transform us this morning. We want to see lives changed this morning. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, what does the word kingdom mean? So the trouble with the English word, it tends to just mean a geographical location, a place or a region, the United Kingdom. We can define its boundaries with our little map, can't we? But the Old Testament is rife with hints and echoes at a coming kingdom. It's packed full of them. We'll talk about a couple in a minute. And the New Testament reveals that kingdom as having arrived. One of the easiest ways to explain the Bible is Old Testament is full of God's promises, New Testament is full of those promises coming true. That's what it's about. And God, through his prophets, prophesied, he promised a coming kingdom, and his people got used to the fact that something was on the way. But they still had the wrong understanding, misunderstanding, of what that was going to look like. And the New Testament, Jesus reveals it as, it's here, it's arrived. And they're like, where exactly? That's the point, they were missing the whole focus of what it was all about. See, to Jesus and the Jews, they did understand that the kingdom was more than just a national area, a, an amount of acreage, a region. It was about a reign, a king's reign, kingdom, king's domain. They understood it was about a reign, but I suggest it's more than just that. It's more than just God's rule in people's hearts. It's, 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 it's effects as well. The rule of God and its effects. Because if it was just the rule of God in people's hearts, it would just be the church. Does that make sense? But it's more, his kingdom is more than that. It's the effects the church has on the world at large, what God is up to around and about. I'll, explain, I'll tell, tell some stories later that will help explain some of that. But if we're talking about God's kingdom, isn't he king of everything anyway? One of those questions. One of my heroes, Abraham Kuyper, he's the Prime Minister I wish we ever had. He was a Dutch Prime Minister, he's an amazing bloke, brilliant, real activist, loved Jesus. And he said, many, many decades ago, Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. I love that. It's all his. He made it all, he rules over it all. So then why is he telling us there's a kingdom within that? It's because there's still a fight. Because there's some who accept him within that great domain of which, over which he all rules. There is also some who don't accept him, either consciously or unconsciously. There are willing participants and there are unwilling participants. Does that make sense? This is where his rule comes in within his greater rule. His rule over creation and his rule amongst his people. 
So that's why I suggest God's kingdom is best explained as God's rule over hearts and its effects. What I'd like to do this morning, just very briefly, is just give you a very brief pricey of kind of the history, the story of God's kingdom through the Bible. Just, just over a couple of minutes. Then I want to talk about what it's like, God's kingdom on display, what that can look like. And then I want to talk about how we can play a part. Is that all right? Yes, yes lovely. Thousands of years ago, God's people wanted to be led. They were happy to be led. And they had judges and they had prophets, but they wanted to be led. Trouble is, they didn't want to be led solely by God. They wanted a bloke. They wanted a king. Finally, God gave them what they wanted and it went a bit awry. Then he put his man in place. You want a, you want a, you want a man, human king? I'll give you my one now. But even then, over those generations, because they were still people, how did it work out for them? Not great. Those human leaders couldn't prevent God's people from falling into sin, from falling into disarray, falling into brokenness, falling into exile and defeat as well. Which kind of proved the point, really. About 1,000 BC, where we're now, 3,000 years ago, Psalm 145 This is among many other promises in the Bible. Lots of promises keep cropping up amongst God's prophets. Including David, that king that he put in place for them. Psalm 145, verse 10. Here comes this little taster of something that's to come. God's telling us something here. This is 1000 BC. Verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. 700 years, uh, sorry, 300 years later, Daniel, another prophet, if you can find Daniel, he comes just after Ezekiel in your Bible, Daniel chapter 2. Verse 44, Daniel then adds some details, some specifics. David's talking about an everlasting kingdom. Daniel explains it's one that hasn't actually arrived yet. Daniel 2.44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. See, it hasn't happened yet. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So already building amongst God's people, there's like, whoa, this is our God and he's promising something, promising something quite magnificent. This is amazing. And so it was already in people's hearts. And around the same time as Daniel, you've got another prophet called Isaiah, around the same kind of era. In his book of his writings, there are 17 passages relating to God's coming kingdom. 17 of them. And throughout, you look at Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 61, these different chapters Isaiah the prophet is declaring that there is a kingdom that will come that will have deliverance and freedom, intimate God's presence. There'll be justice, there'll be joy, peace, comfort, there'll be healing. This is something quite remarkable that has never been seen on this planet. And so already in God's people, this whole picture's building. They're like, I can't wait for this, when's it going to happen? 
And then you reach that blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You got it? Between Malachi and Matthew, there's usually, how's my Bible do it? A blank page that says New Testament. That page represents 400 years when God didn't speak through his prophets. But even then, during that 400 year period, it's called the 400 year silence, the rabbis, the religious teachers, were still telling repeatedly the Jewish people, God's kingdom's coming, expect it at any moment. They still believed it, they were still waiting for it. And then, John the Baptist and Jesus turns up. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, imagine the Jewish people, they've been waiting hundreds of years in their generations, fathers telling children, etc. God's kingdom's coming, it's going to be amazing, keep an eye out for it. All of a sudden this bloke wanders out the wilderness going, it's at hand. That must have pricked up a few ears, wasn't it? Does that mean... Is it going to be that funny noise again? Am I coming through? See what happens. So John the Baptist turns up and says, the kingdom's at hand. You don't have to wait for it any longer. Hello. And then Jesus repeats it himself. This is John the Baptist's second cousin. John points the way to Jesus. And then Mark chapter 1. Get you skipping through your Bibles. Uh... I've got the wrong verse. I've written the wrong verse down there. Sorry, 15. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is after John was arrested for preaching what he was preaching. Jesus himself comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus himself soon reveals himself to be the Messiah they've been waiting for. He says, also, the kingdom is at hand. And then let's go back to those verses that we read right at the beginning, Luke chapter 17. This is the end of our journey, so to speak. This brief history of kingdom. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, or verse 20. Jesus says to those Pharisees who are asking when the kingdom of God is coming, he's already said it's at hand. John the Baptist has said it's at hand. Rabbis have said it's on the way. Asked by the Pharisees and he says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. So you don't have to go looking for it anymore. It's here now. Hello. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. You can't point to it. It's a bit more abstract than that. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And we mustn't misunderstand that. He's not saying it's in the Pharisees' hearts because they didn't love him. But it was amongst them. It was in their presence. Does that make sense? Trouble is... Their assumptions of what this kingdom will look like, they are waiting for this great king to ride on a white horse with a suit of armour and slashing these Romans to pieces. They misunderstood what to expect. They'd misread what the prophets had said. And there was the king standing in front of them, telling the kingdom is at hand, in the midst of them now, the kingdom is here. And they were blind to it. And they and others 
got together and ended up killing him as well. But that's the point. You see, God's kingdom is not an outward kingdom. It's an inward one. Hmm. It's not a question of flags and taxes. Us Brits marching over to India, stick a flag in their country, go, this is ours now and you can have that little bit. We were good at that, weren't we? Horrible. Horrible. It's not a question of that. That's not what kingdom means, God's kingdom. It's a question of authority and worship in our hearts. It's not a question of political earthly rule, which is what a lot of these Jewish people were waiting for. The Romans have oppressed us, we're waiting for our king to come and rescue us. He did, but he didn't, but he did, but he didn't. They were still under their rule for a few more decades. It's a within you kingdom, which is massively, massively different. And 2,000 years later, it's still breaking out. It's still a fight. It's still advancing, and it's still meeting opposition. The devil hates it. His minions hate it. Other people hate it. Those values and what they represent, what they stand for, and who we preach. People hate it. We had the D-Day celebrations just recently, didn't we? Someone made a very interesting comment. They said, 70 years ago, this is on the date, 70 years ago today, the war was won. It ended a year later. That's an interesting, very interesting definition. On one day the war was won, but it didn't finish for another year. The cross is our D-Day. A war was won, but the war's still going on. Does that make sense? I've had years trying to work out, how, how do I explain this to people who don't know what I read in the Bible, you know, my non-Christian friends, how do I explain to them that Jesus has done everything, but there's still a fight going on? The cross is our D-Day, the war was won, the war is won, it's his. Never to be snatched from his hand, that victory. That's done and dusted. But we're still waiting for the war to end, because somebody doesn't like that. Does that help? And so you see, the kingdom is advancing, it's facing opposition. We face that in our own lives. Sometimes it's simple temptation, sometimes it's through sickness, sometimes it's through overt opposition, sometimes through persecution. What about this girl, Miriam, who's been, who had been sentenced to death for being a Christian? I mean, it's, that's the kind of thing that, thankfully, we don't face in this country. Yet, maybe, I don't know. But I've got to be thankful for that. But that's the kind of thing people face. We need to pray for them. It's opposition. And so God's kingdom is more than just a rule in his heart, otherwise it would be just the church. God's kingdom is always on the advance and it has effects. It, it benefits society, the presence of the church. And so God's kingdom is the rule of God in people's hearts and its effects. Which is why the kingdom is bigger than just the church. There's another theologian called Gerhardus Voss, an American. Brilliant name. And he described God's kingdom very interestingly as the renewal of the world through the introduction of supernatural forces. Preach it, brother. The renewal of the world through the introduction of supernatural forces. We are a supernatural people, guys. I don't see it enough in my life, and I want to, and I should do. I should yearn for it more, I should hunger for it more. It's not, hello, I'm a Christian, do you love Jesus? Let me tell you about him, okay. Sometimes God uses that. Brilliant. Because it's more than just words. It's about God persuading people, not us. We just introduce them to him. But we are a supernatural people. We have a Holy Spirit who does amazing things that we could never do. And that turns the world upside down and points to Jesus. And I want to see more of that. 
especially in this secular day and age, the supernatural confronts people's thinking. That shouldn't be happening because that's impossible. Good. The primary method of God advancing his kingdom is through the church. It's disciples, discipling disciples in a supernatural lifestyle. I don't want to be responsible for discipling you in knowledge. It's about a lifestyle that lives out God's values, that lives out walking in the Holy Spirit and see what it does. And this is why there's two questions I need to keep asking myself. One, have I taken off my invisibility cloak? We can hide. We can live a normal life like everybody else and go shopping and go working and watch the telly not mention Jesus at all. Read my Bible for a quarter of an hour every morning because that's a good, dutiful thing to do. That's keeping my invisibility cloak on. That's not living out a supernatural lifestyle that he wants me to do. That's how we preach him. Have I taken off my invisibility cloak? Secondly, am I living that supernatural life? It's scary, isn't it? It is scary, I know that. And he knows that. So God's kingdom on display, what does it look like? What do I mean about its effects? Isn't it just about people getting saved? Well, that's the primary momentum driving force behind it. It's building a family for him. That's what he's doing. But he wants to benefit the world at large anyway. If people reject him, that's fine. He's still going to bless them in other ways. (laughs) What a God. What a God. Who's got a fiver in their pocket? Elizabeth Fry. Anybody heard of her? Prison reformer, a Quaker. She loved God. She brought massive reform in this country, prison reform. Elizabeth Fry. That is not just about the church, is it? That's about the effects of God's kingdom benefiting a society. I think our prisons still need a reform at the moment. (laughs) But imagine where they'd be without someone like God using... Someone like Elizabeth Fry. That's God's kingdom on the move, isn't it? The Samaritans. Bernardos. The Red Cross. All evidence of God's kingdom on the move. Effects of God's people on the move. Basketball and volleyball. Did you know that's the effects of God's kingdom on the move? YMCA. They invented basketball and volleyball for their physical education for their young men to get fit to work together, to learn teamwork, to build relationships. It's all about making a difference in society. Basketball and volleyball, God's ideas. Love it. Servant leadership is something we don't always see in the world at large. It's about people lording it over over someone else. Servant leadership is demonstrated by Jesus. And we as leaders, I'm not here to lord it over you, I'm here to serve you. This is a whole different thing. Actually, servant leadership has been recognised as having value in it, even if they can't put their finger on why. And it's cropping up again more and more in secular leadership books. Servant leadership, you're serving your workforce. Very interesting. People may not be getting directly saved from it, but it's benefiting society. It's the effects of God's kingdom. Isn't that brilliant? We've got street pastors going on. We've got the commissioning on July the 4th, making a difference in the summer. In our town, when they're on the streets, antisocial behaviour related incidents, the crime statistics drop by 75%. It's it's as simple as that. That's God's kingdom at work, isn't it? Through his people. We've got a food bank. 
Why, we've got a, why we need food banks in 21st century Britain is beyond me. But it's a need, so we the church will help meet it. That's God's kingdom on the move. Debt advice. Christians Against Poverty, for example. Do you know, last year they helped people wipe off, just in this country, £2.3 million worth of priority debts through the organisation Christians Against Poverty. And every day, this is their recent statistic, every day they help bring nine people from the brink of debt-related suicide. Hallelujah. That is lives changed. That's God's kingdom on the move. Healing on the streets. It's about a supernatural lifestyle. Where's Bob? Still doing it? Canterbury? Still seeing, seeing people healed on the streets? Hallelujah. Yes. Maybe one day we'll have it in Herne Bay as well. That's not to say we can't pray for our friends when they complain of an ailment. Ask for help. We can offer to pray. There was a guy here in this room last Sunday. Just as we were dispersing to go and help them finish off setting up for the fair. A guy that me and Adrian and Julian and that have been working with during the morning setting up. And he just shared about his wife. He's, his, he's a permanent carer. And he shared about her, her, uh, her condition long term. So I said, would you mind if we prayed for her? He said, yes, please. So I've got his name. And if you want to know who she is, come and speak to me. And we'll, we'll pray for her together. Let's see a change. It's brilliant. Don't, don't just leave it for people who do healing on the streets on certain Saturdays in Canterbury. It's for all of us living a supernatural lifestyle. And it's that ripple effects of individuals being willing to step out and do the scary stuff, which it is scary, I know. But actually, when you've done something small, you can do something a little bit bigger. God, God doesn't expect you to go from here to there now. Just a little step. I'll offer to pray for you when I get home. You don't have to do it there and then. Gradually, you build up a bit of a boldness, like if you want me to, I'm happy to pray for you now. And you don't have to lay hands on them, just pray for them. In time, something will build. You never know what will become. I'll talk about that again in a minute. That's God's kingdom on display, just some examples. And so this series, this is about stepping into his promises. We do see it here in Beacon. In some ways we do live a supernatural lifestyle. We do pray for healing. We have seen healings. Sandy Rawson and her back and so on. I'll mention a couple more in a minute. We do see it. I just want to see more of it. <laughs> is that not a simple thing to ask? Is that too much to ask? No, he wants us to ask it. It's not, of course, it's not just about healings, but that's a good example of supernatural lifestyle. It's also words of knowledge. Your postman turns up onto the door. How are you this morning? Oh, not so good, mate. And God gives you a word of knowledge that say, is it something to do with such and such? Can I pray? That opens their eyes to there's someone greater than he. You can never know what it might be. Let's have a little look into some of these headings here, just so you know what's to come. I haven't put on, down who's preaching, so you know which weeks to avoid. <laughs> Steve's on. Oh, I'm going to have a line. But um, what have we got here? Proclaiming the kingdom. We've got that July the 13th. That'd be a good one. Proclaiming the kingdom is just having a confidence just to step out into that life. So we're just to preach the gospel. Do we do that enough with our friends and family? Do we have opportunity to? I suggest actually we do have the opportunities. We just don't spot them. But when we were at the leadership conference a couple of weeks ago in Norwich, a dozen of us were there. And one of the main driving themes was a confidence in the gospel. It's not about how hard you try or how much you try and persuade people. There's value to debate. There is value to conversation and dialogue. There is even more value to just living a natural, supernatural lifestyle that people go, what's that all about? I want to know more. But it's also just sharing Jesus. Evangelism, dare I say, is not telling people about Jesus. 
Evangelism is introducing people to your friends, Jesus. Big difference. I was at, I was at the whole our centre a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was just singing. I was doing some sex singing, some Radio One rap song. I can't remember what it was. And uh, our friend Mark was there, and Mark and Fran, and a relative was there, and he goes, "He's at me." Mark goes, "He's the happiest man I know." I go, it's only because I've got Jesus. And before I'd even known it, it came out of my mouth. That's because I've got Jesus. And this bloke was like, I don't know what to make of that. But I just found myself saying it. I want to be more like that, even if people think I'm a weirdo. I just want to have a confidence in who I love. Do you know what I mean? Proclaiming the gospel. That'll be in a few weeks' time. Believe in the, gospel, uh, believe in the kingdom. Believe in the kingdom. That'll be next week. Julian. It's just having, again, it's a confidence. Don't look so terrified. It'd be great. It'd be brilliant. Scratch that. <laughs> Rub that bit of Tipex. It'd be good. It'd be good. I'm really looking forward to it. It's about having confidence. We'll be looking at the Lord's Prayer and just like, what do we pray when we say that out loud? Do we really think about what we're saying? There's some powerful, powerful stuff in there. And it's just believing it. Do I really believe the things I say? Do I really believe the words I sing in some of those songs? I'll sing them and I like the tune, but I'm not so sure if I really believe it. Or we can think we believe it, but we don't live like it. So therefore, do we believe it? It's worth questioning, worth asking. Do I really believe the things I say? See, John Wimber, an American pastor, died a few years ago. God used him in a revolutionary way for awakening the global church to the supernatural lifestyle, massively. Started the vineyard, vineyard um, movement of churches. And when he first got saved, he went to a load of boring services. And he, he was reading the Gospels, seeing what Jesus was up to. And the disciples, it's like, oh, hang on a minute. So I don't see that in my services. What's going on? So after a few of these boring services, he went up to a lay leader. And he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, services, they're all right. But um, when are we going to do the stuff? And the fans said to him, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> John was like, well, stuff you. I want to do it. I'll be doing it over here then. God used him in a big, big way and he stepped out. He stepped out bit by bit and God used him hugely. He used to say, when we prayed for nobody, nobody got healed. Shocker. He said, but when we prayed for everybody, some got healed. That's what we need to be doing. That's what we need. It's not jumping on people. It's about just offering to pray for people or remembering to pray for people. It's just relationship, isn't it? So that's why we're going to spend a whole Sunday on healing, August the 3rd. We're going to look at healing, look at that, why sometimes it doesn't happen, different understandings of why not everybody gets healed, trusting that he's still a good God who still cares. But he does all sorts of things, and there's never a formula, and I'm grateful for that. Well, sometimes I think it would be easier if you do step one, step two, if if such and such, skip to step five. One of those kind of flow charts. That would be easy, wouldn't it? See people get healed. But it's not. If you see Jesus healing people in the Bible, it's a different thing every single time. I'm ungrateful for that because it proves it's him and not us. Remember Maxine? We put her x-rays up on the, up on the screen a year or two back. Our Maxine, who currently lives in China, broken wrist, very clearly on the x-ray, asked, could you pray for me? I'm off to Thailand to see the doctors. When she gets there, they do another x-ray. What do you mean your hand's broken? We put both x-rays up, just through the power of prayer. Hallelujah. Want to see more of that? And yet God does it differently every time. That was us praying from a distance. 
my friend Natasha from City Church Canterbury. Some of you have met her. She, um, at the age of 18, she was diagnosed. She had a routine checkup, and they diagnosed that actually in your heart there were two valves going to different parts, one to the lungs, one to the body. You have a bicuspid, bi meaning two parts to the valve, and the other one is a tricuspid, which has got three parts, tri. Her tricuspid only had two parts. There's one bit missing. They don't fall off. They don't erode. She was born with that. And it was causing chest pain, discomfort, lethargy, shortness of breath, and can lead to, in the future, angina and heart attacks in later life. And at the age of 18, this brand new university student was hit with this, like, you've got a bicuspid, and without massive heart surgery, nothing's going to fix that. Whoa. She was reconsidering her future and everything. A few years later, she was at City Church, still getting intense, crushing chest pain probably once a week. At City Church, and our Mike Betts, who looks after our movement of relational mission, he happened to be there. And he was praying at the end of the meeting. And he said, I don't know why, just God's telling me just to pray for people with heart defects. So I'm just going to do a blanket prayer and pray for people with heart defects. And her friends are going, that's you! That's you! It's like, yeah, what, whatever. And after the end of the meeting, she didn't feel any different, but they said, her friends said, we're going to keep praying for you. We just really feel that God was prompting Mike because of you. So we're going to keep praying for you. A little while later, in the April, she went for her next routine checkup, and they did the scan, and the doctors are like, uh, yeah, yeah, your heart's, because they didn't know about the full history. They were going, yeah, your heart's fine, a perfectly normal bicuspid and tricuspid with three parts. She's like, big pardon? Like, yeah, your tricuspid, it's got three full parts. So she went back and saw the consultant, and it's like, that is impossible. You must have had surgery. <laughs> no scars. I did have surgery, it was supernatural. Amen. Amen. There was a prayer in a meeting, other friends praying for her. Third part of her tricuspid valve grows of its own accord. Hallelujah. I want to see more of that. Why not? Someone else here, I won't mention the name, but someone else here just a few weeks ago, they've had 15 years, this condition, a growth, and uh, it came to a point, the only thing that was going to fix this was surgery. Just a few weeks ago, they were driving to an appointment. The last thing they wanted was surgery as well. didn't Didn't like the thought at all. But driving to an appointment, knowing they had to fix a date for surgery... On the way, God told them, I've done it. Saw the doctor, had the scan, nothing there. Hallelujah. I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that. I've got lots of, I've got lots of stories about a, a little boy. That, anyway, I've got, I've got lots of, we haven't got time. I've got lots of stories. We're running out of time. I need to speed up. Let's see more of that, shall we? Very briefly, we'll look at the promise of the kingdom, I just want to talk about revelation, and actually, revelation is there for a reason. It's not a scriptural Sudoku puzzle, just to unwrap and try and work out the dates and what those locusts look like, really, and all those kind of weird creatures around the, with the elders. Revelation is in the Bible for a reason. It's not a puzzle box to spend hours and hours puzzling over and win the prize. It's prophecy, which is encouragement, and it says that he wins. <laughs> And that should encourage us not just to sit, rest on our laurels, sit in the corner and wait for him to come again. We've got a job to do. But Revelation gives us encouragement that wherever we go, he's won and he wins. So either way, I can't lose. So we're going to spend a Sunday looking at that. I will also, uh, one more thing there is uh, a couple of weeks' time, rocks in the Kingdom River. Uh, there is a guy called Simon Holly who leads one of our churches in Bedford, King's Arms Church. This is a brilliant book. There's a couple of copies on the back table. If we need any more, we can always order some through Paul. 
If you, if you want to, please do get hold of a copy of this book or you can borrow one of ours. Outstanding book. He tells his story similar to what I've been talking about here, just realising there's stuff in the Bible I'm not seeing now and I want a bit of it. And we're battling through, wondering why we're not seeing it, stuff he had to sort out in his own heart, other people. He tells a lot of testimony and when they prayed for nobody, nobody got healed. When they prayed for everybody, some got healed. And he says, the more I prayed, it went from one out of ten people got healed to two or three out of ten. And now it's about a four or five out of ten. It's amazing stories. This book is really helpful. But in here, he talks about some of the stuff he wrestled with, understanding why they weren't seeing what they wanted to see. And he talks about rocks in the riverbed. I'll explain a bit more in a couple of weeks. But there are things that can hinder Holy Spirit's work through us. Things like self-reliance. I'm all right, I don't need him. Holy Spirit's not going to do anything there, is he? I'll be over here if you need me, Steve. Things like fear, fear of stepping out. Judgment. Why should I pray for you when you live that lifestyle? It's little things that can creep in. Religious control, unbelief, disappointment. Why should I pray when I've been praying for 20 years and nothing's happened? That can hold us back and you never know what God might do. So I'll I'll look at that in depth in a couple of weeks' time. So you've got your bookmarks, keep them in your Bible, you know what's coming up. And actually in the future, when you look back on those titles, you remember what we've preached about, hopefully. It's worth a try, isn't it? Don't forget, we're gonna, I'm going to have to finish, I'm going to have to tie this up in a minute. Don't forget, Pete Pemberthy was with us a few months ago. Do you remember Pete and Fran? And on the Saturday morning, he had a word for us, and he said, you have the word miracles over you. Not miracle, miracles. Believe it. Do we believe it? Do we want to see more of it? Are we hungry for it? Then we need to pray for it. I want to see more healings. I want to see more salvation. I want to see the values of businesses in Herne Bay turn upside down by how they operate because they've been affected by God and his kingdom. Why not? I want to see people in this town knowing where to turn when they're broken because we've taken our invisibility cloaks off. And I also just want to see God doing what he does because then it always points to him. Our Scottish Borders Church, a couple of weeks ago, a guy in the area uh, felt unwell, and he just prayed out to some God. No idea who he is. God, heal me. And he felt better. So he thought we'd better go to church in the morning. I want to see that happening. People just coming in. Why did you come here? Because God told me. Brilliant. Last Sunday, Simon Holly's own, very own church. Last Sunday, a guy had had a drunken night out, And when he woke up this morning with his splitting hangover, he heard an audible voice from God saying, go to church. He went to church and he got saved. Hallelujah. Yes, and I want to see more of it. I want to see more of it. Have we taken off our invisibility cloaks? Yeah, but no, but a little bit. I just want to rip it off. I don't want to be ashamed of who I stand for. I don't want to be ashamed of who saved me. I don't want to be ashamed of who's working in with me. I want to live out that supernatural lifestyle. I want to learn how to. I've got massive L plates on. I'm the same as anybody else in this room. But I'm willing to learn. I've got lots more I was going to share. I'm going to have to leave it there. Shall we stand? Our confidence is in the gospel. Our confidence is in knowing that Jesus has done the hard work 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's on the cross we see true servanthood. Where that great king who pronounced his kingdom and his kingdom is on the advance. He's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're on the move. Whether you feel like it or not, we're his people and we're on the move. 
And it's on the cross that that king willingly laid down his life for you and for me. If you don't understand what that means, if you don't know him, please do come and speak to me afterwards. Because the one thing you should do today is come to know him as your saviour, as your king, and play a part. It's on the cross we see true supernatural power being demonstrated. When he did a ninja kick to the devil in the belly gut from which he'll never recover punched a hole in that wall of sin between us and the Father. There's that king wearing our sin upon his shoulders. The weight of that. But he did it willingly. We see true lordship. It doesn't look like it. This pitiful man dying on a cross. But that is true lordship where the king, the, our God, chose to do that. Chose to suffer the agony. It's not just the agony of those nails going through his hands and his feet. The crown of thorns in his head. The flesh being ripped from his back. That's painful. But the true agony was carrying our sin upon his shoulders. And it's not because we deserve it. It's because he is love, because he is merciful, because he chose to do that for us. And all we need to do is embrace him as our saviour. We can't save ourselves. Embrace what he has done for our sin and step into the supernatural lifestyle he is available for us as his people turning this world upside down for him. And so, Lord, I just pray. Will you come in power? We love Herne Bay. We love many people in this town. We ask, will you save them? Open, your, open their eyes to you. There is brokenness all around us. Brokenness. We are a rich nation and yet we are so poor in need of you. Lord, you have truly blessed us in recent years in building some great friendships around Beacon Church. We have a lot of friends who don't know you. Lord, will you start just introducing new ways of how we can introduce them to you, our best friend and our saviour. We don't want them to just stay friends. We want them to become brothers and sisters. Lord, as we sing this last song, may it just truly be a prayer, a cry from our hearts. And Lord, may you just demonstrate yourself even this morning. Just while we sing this song, we're going to sing um, Come Set Your Rule and Reign that we learned earlier. We're going to sing that again. If there's anything you want prayer for, please just come to the front. It can be for you or for someone else that you just want to represent who's not here. Please just come down the front. David will help pray. We'll gather other people around, depending on who comes forward. But we'd love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus as your saviour, please come and speak to me. In the meantime, let's sing this song and see what he does, shall we?